military aid bill, but even here the president did not get what he was after. He had requested an appropriation of $1.31 billion. What the Senate approved was $771 million. Such aid is for military equipment grants and credit sales of arms. Senator Barry Goldwater was bitter in defeat. This, he declared, marks the end of the United States assistance program. It is a signal, said Goldwater, to the rest of the world that we're pulling in our horns, and I will have no part of it. In sports tonight at Yonkers Raceway, Daily Double, number two off-track betting letter B, Iowa Boy. And number four, OTB letter D, the Marauder. Feature number seven, OTB letter G, E.B. Tune. In baseball in the National League, Chicago beat the Mets 5-1, Montreal 10, Pittsburgh 3, Philadelphia 10, St. Louis 3, first game, second game, St. Louis 4, Philadelphia 3 in the ninth inning. Cincinnati leads Houston 2-1 in the eighth inning. In the American League, Yankees pounded out 17 hits to bomb Cleveland 10-2, Detroit 4, Boston 1, Oakland 6, Texas 1 in the eighth inning, Baltimore 6, Milwaukee nothing in the seventh, Minnesota 3, Chicago nothing in the seventh. Stock market today ignored the Watergate hearings, a big balance of trade deficit in May, and further weakening of the dollar on the international markets to forge ahead with the Dow Jones Industrial Average up 10.31 to 879.44. 14 million shares traded, 746 issues higher, 608 lower. Stocks on the American exchange also were higher. The index up 0.2 at 22.22. Trading was light. The WOR Weather Watch update for New York City and vicinity. Fog, a chance of light drizzle tonight and tomorrow morning. Lows tonight in the mid-60s. Hazy sunshine tomorrow afternoon. The highs in the upper 70s. Cloudy tomorrow night. Lows in the mid-60s. Mostly cloudy. Chance of occasional rain on Thursday. Highs in the 70s. Current temperature, 67 degrees. Humidity, 87%. Wind southeast, 8 miles an hour. The barometer, 30.08 inches and rising. And the THI is 66. At the top of the news at this hour, city controller Abraham Beams scores smashing victory over Congressman Herman Badillo in the Democratic mayoral primary runoff. Beam gets 61% of the vote to Badillo's 39%. John Dean to make another appearance before the Watergate Committee tomorrow. Senate approves a foreign military aid bill, but calls for far less than President Nixon had requested. That's the latest from the WOR newsroom. Lester Smith reporting over WOR New York. Your station for news as it happens. Next, Gene Shepard, and at midnight, all night, with Wingate. Bachelor was found innocent of murder. 
after a married woman testified that the defendant was in bed with her at the time of the slaying. Court spectators cheered to the rafters. I'm just quoting. I don't make the news. I'm going to report it later. <laughs> You know, they have a newspaper called the British Scandal Review. They do nothing but review scandals, you know, like, uh, like people review plays. And their editorial this week says about Watergate, must the colonies always outdo us in everything? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm telling you, that, uh, you know, what's happening, though, is a lot of people who are soap opera fans, uh, you know, ex-soap opera fans, uh, since uh, Watergate has taken over totally all afternoon television, has slowly become Watergate fans. And uh, now, you know, they're producing them like soap operas now. You know, they had to bring in that little human interest. And have you noticed now between behind every witness is his wife? And the camera keeps switching over to her, nervously plucking at her handkerchief as her husband stalwartly testifies and thinks on everybody else, you know. <laughs> Uh, you know, I'll tell you. Uh, well, the one the one thing that keep uh, keep you know keeps occurring to me is uh, what's going to happen if one uh, if one witness shows up and he has an ugly, mean, aggressive, fat wife, and uh, she sits behind him and keeps making rotten remarks, or you know looks real mad and has a mustache. You know that guy's testimony is not going to be believed by anybody. That's it's all part of the technique now, you know. And even if you don't have a wife, uh, you go out and hire one, you know, to sit behind you there. And the little camera keeps picking her up there. I, I, I kind of like that. I really do. And I especially like the testimony where one guy, you know, one of them says, Well, yes, it is uh, true, uh, Senator. I uh, had $12,974 in my safe. And uh, uh, at that time, I uh, did take $4,752 of this to pay for my wedding. And I uh, went on a honeymoon with all this money. But uh, one thing I must say, Senator, uh, due to the fact that I was called back to Washington sooner than I thought, I didn't use all the money, which I returned to the safe. Thank you. To the best of my recollection, sir, that is, sir. I also put an IOU in the safe, sir. And the Senator, at which point, said, <clears throat> uh, Well, I, I want to say here, for the record, that we have a memo marked number 32D, in which uh, that claim was made by Mr. C.G. Bullard at the time when my Senate investigating committee discussed that matter with him, and the date of that time was August 12, 1970. Is that correct? Uh, yes, sir, Senator, I believe that is correct. Yes, sir, very correct, Senator. Yes, sir. To the best of my knowledge, sir, if I had the access to my records, I believe I would be able to bear that out, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And, and, I, and, and, and I notice here uh, that it says here... Yeah, uh, according to document number 427D, do you have a, a copy of that document? Uh, uh, would you please give me a copy of that document? Excuse me, sir. Uh, excuse me. Uh, well, would, I, would, you, would, would, would the audience please cease laughter here? Uh, excuse me. Uh, according to document number... Four, no, excuse me. That's not the right one. Would you please give me number 432D? There, it's, it's the one that... Uh, uh, I have the meth scores here. I don't want that. Bring me... Uh, yes, according to number 432D, it says here...
out of the West, a mysterious stranger rides. Sitting tall in the saddle and sponsored by a major bread company. A man who fights evil wherever he finds it. Stands for good and righteousness. And he comes out of the West, a mysterious, masked stranger. And as our episode opens this evening, we see the masked stranger sitting near his campfire, over which he is heating a can of beans. His friendly native Indian sidekick, Tonto, now approaches. <laughs> My God Almighty, Tonto! I say, my God Almighty, Tato, I see evil everywhere. It's just a good thing I got myself a good supply of silver bullets from Sears Roebuck before we set out on this one. It ain't gonna do you no good to scream. I got you, Diddy Rice. I got you. I got a memo right here that's got you. I told you to stop writing them memos. Making them phone calls. Help! Ah, Timo Sabi. Good friend, Tonto. Ah, ah, oh, help! Ah, ah! Oh, my God. Oh, that was exciting. Hey, sir, out of the West. Came a masked stranger. You know, I, I, uh, I got the, you know, that... Have you, have you noticed another thing here? Uh, perhaps it's a slipped by. There's all kinds of little things that are not being mentioned by uh, John Chancellor, who's an old friend of mine. You know, he's involved in the very serious things. But I've observed that, the, that uh, it has been reported that uh, the Watergate Hotel has had an unbelievable number of requests for rooms. And, in fact, they're turning them away. You know, and it might, uh, this, is a, this is a lesson to all of us, that, that there is nothing uh, that doesn't somehow pay for somebody else. You know, there's an old expression that uh, it is indeed an ill wind that blows no one some good. I, it's something like that. I mean, you know, that's paraphrased. I read it off an Idaho license plate. But... Uh, it's a, it's paraphrased, uh, light be there. But the, I kind of like the idea of, uh, of the Watergate is jam-packed now, full of people. The summer season there, you know, everyone wants to say, I stayed at the Watergate. Yeah, I couldn't get the, the good room, you know, the one that the, they had the bugging equipment in, but, but I was two doors down. I was, <laughs> somehow I kind of, you know, I, I just uh, enjoy it. It's all part of the summer madness and, and uh, what would we do? Wouldn't life be boring if there wasn't chicanery and evil everywhere? Just seriously think about that. You know, George Bernard Shaw said it. Uh, he said, you know, let's face it, when he was when he was uh, asked about his play, Don Juan in Hell, and uh, he was uh, he was uh, pressed to the, uh, you know, kind of pressed to the wall. They said, uh, you know, the, I can't tell whether or not uh, that play, Mr. Shaw, is pro-evil or whether it's pro-good or whether it's... Uh, Kind of ambiguous there, and he says, "Well, 
You know how Shaw talks. Let's face it, the devil gets all the best lines. And he's quite right. Because uh, we are all secretly attracted to evil. However, we all aspire to good, which is not quite the same thing as being attracted to good. Do you agree, Larry? <laughs> and uh, I, I am making no case neither for good nor evil. But uh, you, find, you find that the case can be made for both, seriously. If you're looking for excitement, try evil. Uh, if you're looking for public approval, try good. However, public approval doesn't pay the rent. And I might also add, public approval doesn't often get you very far. You know, it's a sad fact of the matter is that, that many, uh, many a movie star's next five smash hits have been when he's discovered in the middle of a, some kind of a gigantic orgy. Hits the front pages, you know. <laughs> That's just a fact, you know. And so I'd like to, I'd like to believe in, in good. In fact, I, every, every couple of days I remind myself to do this. You know, I'm, I'm uh, you know, doing something just casual, walking around like, you know, it's the middle of a Wednesday afternoon in New York and the sun's beating down on my head. And I say, you know, I said, there's something I was going to do. Uh, have you ever had the nagging sensation? That, or, or do you continually have the nagging sensation that there was something you were going to do and you can't quite remember it? Or is this a New York syndrome? Or don't you have that? I, I, I don't think you either of you do have that. See, I think that, the, that those of us who are driven to great heights do have it. Those of you who settle along the way, you know, to become Campbell soup salesmen and stuff like that, don't. And by the way, speaking of, uh, of being driven to great heights and the, <laughs> and the sneaky evil that we all live among... Uh, by the way, that reminds me, speaking of the devil. No, no, I better not. I was going to make a station break here. I better give, you know, kind of a respectful little pause between references to the devil and references to W.O.R. New York, don't you think? I don't want anybody out there to, to make any uh, misinferences there. And by the way, that uh, another thing I like about the Watergate things is that they're bringing out some very good uh, new words. Uh, very good new words. Have you noticed that some new words have recently appeared in the language, like summetry? Brezhnev and Nixon were involved in summetry. What the hell? That's that's a new word. I mean, I always thought that this, uh, a summit was a was a noun. I mean, you know, it's like like a shepherd is now involved in uh, in. Uh, Let's say, uh, it's hard because I'm not involved in anything like that. See, I'm keeping my hands clean, friends. You're not going to, you're not going to pin me to the wall. Incidentally, what you are also seeing, by the way, if you, and I, and I don't think anybody has ever, has, has pointed this out yet. Watching the Watergate thing going on is like a case history study in the, the bureaucrat at work. You know, all these guys are bureaucrats. You understand that? You know what is the bureaucrat? I mean, you know, he's, he's the, the faceless guy that uh, passes on the memo. <laughs> you know, whoever heard, did you, did you really seriously, until all this happened, did you ever hear of guys like uh, Colson? Of course not. They're part of this vast, you know, or, or 
guys like uh, the, now the becoming household worlds, like John Dean the Third. He's got the absolute bland face of a of a not only a dynamic but a creative bureaucrat who expresses great uh, wonder and mystification that all this stuff that's gone on around. And uh, you've all dealt with bureaucrats. Have you ever tried to argue with somebody at the post office? I mean, the guy looked right out and said, Look, buddy, I don't make the rules. All I do is... And he stamps the thing like that and hands it to you. And uh, no matter how high you go, you'd find nobody makes the rules. That's the true bureaucrat. See, see, the, the bureaucracy is like a force of nature. And uh, it's like all forces of nature. They're almost impossible for earthbound mortals to understand. This is why we have theologies, Larry. Understand that. Now, what is a force of nature? Well, a force of nature is a force of nature, not a force of man. And so gravity is still being discussed. You, you'd think that by now they would know what, for, what causes gravity. I mean, gravity, yes, you know, uh, there have been a lot of talk. All of you have fallen down the stairs now and again, especially on a Saturday night. And, uh, you know, we've all experienced the force of gravity, and yet you know that they don't really know what causes the force of gravity. It's a force of nature. There's a lot of theories about it. Have you noticed that Albert Einstein now appears to be doing commercials? You notice that? Hi, <laughs> <Right>, George. <laughs> Did you see that? Well, now, now, the commercial is a force of nature. In a way, it's very difficult to explain the what they're about and why. For example, one of my favorite commercials uh, in the last couple of days that's popped up all over TV is this friendly little family group that seems to be talking about getting bombed with some kind of a sleeping pill. Have you seen that one? It's a little family family group, and the, the, the daughter is saying, yes, when I moved to the city, I found it was difficult to sleep. And, uh, yes, old daddy, he told me that I ought to take these little bomberoonies, and by George, I sleep like a top. Now, I'll never forget what daddy said. Daddy said it's not enough to lose, it's not important enough to lose sleep over. And daddy's sitting up, here. that's what I said, daughter. That's exactly what I said. And it's kind of a pleasant little spot, I mean, uh, the idea of it. You see, spots are based on total unreality. Have you ever sat in with a, a family group discussing sleeping pills? In a, in a nostalgic way. If you know, thank God for sleeping pills. <laughs> Remember the old days when we didn't have them, <laughs> George? <laughs> and uh, this is all part of the whole commercial. There's, a, there's another one, too, where there's a little kid, a seven-year-old kid, total unreality. A little kid is saying to his daddy, Daddy, uh, why do, uh, do uh, all-state underwriter insurance men know all about uh, the price differential for children under seven, Daddy. And at which point, Daddy says, well, they have this computer, son, and you'll learn more about those things when you get to be an older Daddy like me. And that great computer in the sky will discover your basic uh, price premium for your life of security, and you're in good hands. Well, I, I just never heard a kid ever talk to a Daddy about insurance underwriters. And I, 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 I kind of, and, and no wonder a lot of people are getting dissatisfied. Not only are our kids getting dissatisfied with their parents because the parents never act, you know, their own parents like they do on TV. But parents are getting dissatisfied with their kids because their kids never act like kids do on TV. And they see it right before their very eyes. Here's this little shrunk, seven years old. He's asking about insurance underwriters. 
And, you know, he looks over at his own seven-year-old kid, and the kid's sitting there slack-jawed, you know. <laughs> you know, and he's got a little plastic thing with a string on the end of it with a bell that rings. <laughs> and he says, well, what is it? What do we give birth to? What is this, a vegetable sitting over here? Shut up, will you? And uh, so there's universal dissatisfaction. And I'm delighted to note that a lot of the people have been weaned from, uh, from soap operas and are now becoming addicted to Watergate with the same slack-jawed lack of understanding. <laughs> but, the, you know, I, I just uh, kind of like that. It's all, it's all related to many, uh, many other mysterious uh, uh, force of nature. I, but bureaucracy is a force of nature. It's always existed. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a dark, murky part of the human soul. And uh, certain nations have brought bureaucracy to almost a truly fine art. For example, any of you have even tried to buy a stamp in France. Understand that bureaucracy is the French national art form. And uh, from a friend of mine who just got back last week who was in France, he said they love Watergate because it's, uh, you know, it's like a giant play about bureaucrats. And anything to do with a bureaucrat is enjoyed in France. Uh, <laughs> but it's a kind of enjoyment, you see. It's like the other day I saw a guy driving around with his, his license. You know, up in, in states like Maine, you can get words on your license plates. We have not progressed that far in New York. Maybe they're afraid to let the New Yorkers do that because uh, they can come up with some pretty good words here in New York, which uh, the bureaucrats don't understand the meaning of yet. Like, uh, I'm driving along on the Maine Turnpike a couple of weeks ago, and there's a guy who goes past me, and he's got this M.G., and on the back of his license plate, which uh, was a New England license plate, he simply said, bombed. And he was. I was pleased to note that he was bombed. You know, he lived up to the billing there. And another guy had taxes on his license plate, just said taxes. And uh, he's looking for his buddy who was living on the other side of the state with death on his license plate. And, uh, you know, the two of them go to conventions together. It's a matched set. Uh, speaking of... <laughs> Speaking of matched sets, I'd like to ask a question. Where did the rumor get out that I grew up in Gary, Indiana? I have no idea where this rumor. I did not, I repeat, I did not grow up in Gary, Indiana. I've probably been in Gary, Indiana less than you have, and I have no interest whatsoever in Gary, Indiana. That's the end of that rumor, Senator. I have no idea where it started, however, although I did hear Mr. Dean one day discussing it with Mr. Halverson. Or that other guy, Ehrlichman, or whatever that uh, guy. They all have names that sound like, uh, you know, it's hard to determine exactly what they sound like. Of course, it's all gut, the, you know, it's all a gut reaction. Uh, speaking of gut reactions, I, whenever, once in a while when you get out on the road, you know, you, have you ever noticed your mind drifts sometimes? You're driving along on the turnpike, you know, and you're, and you're concentrating and you're driving, but all the while there's another side of your mind that kind of just roves along. It's a, it's a, it's kind of a free-form, free-flowing, in-color, stereo, 360-degree, uh, third-dimensional, constantly moving, unedited movie of the mind. You know, you, you ever had that, uh, Larry? You're going along and you see these things going, the things go, and the guys are going past me, and I keep seeing bumpers and licenses and stuff going by. And uh, it just suddenly hit me. There are really basically two kinds of people. Of course, there you can divide the world into millions of two kinds of classifications. You know, two kinds is a classification itself. And uh, there are the people who put bumper stickers on their cars, and then there's the civilized. And uh, 
And I, I, uh, I was wondering about that bumper sticker thing. I mean, what drives a man to put a bumper sticker on his car? To, to the people who are non-bumper sticker types, it is completely inexplicable. It is, it is, it is difficult to understand. Now, uh, is there anybody out there tonight who has a bumper sticker on his car? I'd like to talk to him and ask him what murky motive drove him to stick a piece of paper on the back of his car telling people that they should think ski or snow or think mosquitoes or uh, I didn't vote for Nixon or, you know, any of this kind of stuff. What is it? What what urge is it that uh, that drives a man to do this? But these, uh, of course, maybe it's it's part of the summer, you know. It's like that lady. Did you hear about the lady down in Miami Shores the other night? Summer's great. I, I'll tell you, I, when, when summertime comes, um, I become a totally different creature. Totally. You know, there's, there's a theory around, and I, I don't like to bring this up uh, in the presence of a lot of people who tend to believe that sex uh, really doesn't exist, that it's a state of mind. And if you stop going to movies, it would never bother you. But uh, I have to bring it up, but I really do, that there's a theory around, you know, that's been bruited about. <laughs> I use that uh, phrase uh, with great forethought, the bruited about, that uh, man is, uh, not, uh, that, includes, that includes men, women, uh, let's put it this way, humankind. Humankind is basically a, uh, well, uh, a hibernation creature. A creature of hibernation. In other words, if, if we were to obey our true nature, we would hibernate six months out of the year. And we still feel the urge. You know, once in a while a guy will do that. Wasn't there some bartender out in Wisconsin that hibernated for six months? He literally, at the, you know, after Labor Day, he went up the stairs, hopped in a sack, and did not get out of the sack until May. Do you remember that? You remember that guy? Well, I remember him. Of course, I remember a lot of junk. And uh, I remember that distinctly. And he became famous. His name was Turkey something. Turkey. And uh, he would go up and hibernate. And, and uh, everybody would come and look at him. Uh, thousands of people would come and stand by the bed and just look at old Turkey hibernating there. Why did they come to see him? Because he was doing what everyone secretly always wanted to do. Wouldn't you like to just say to hell with it all and go to bed for about six months, just lay there and, you know... Mess around and, and watch the ball game. And <laughs> I mean, this is a, a human thing. It's a very definitely a human thing. And uh, and uh, of course the the Calvinistic uh, uh, the, the the side that man uh, really really took off right after the Middle Ages, roughly about the time that the Dark Ages were beginning to peter out. And that is the first Dark Ages. We're now entering the second major Dark Age, but. Uh, when the first dark age began to peter out, uh, somehow it was uh, bruited about that man should get out and do all his stuff and build things and, uh, you know, climb up and down ladders and paint stuff and uh, put birds on sticks and do all that stuff. You know, you know what I mean. That's all, you know, that's called society and all that junk we do, walk around, wear these shoes and send these memos. Now, now watching Watergate is a study in the ultimate, uh, uh, let's say, the ultimate... Uh, uh, rise and the total uh, compartmentation and the final decline of the of the uh, urge that we all have to do these you know sending back memos and calling back and forth and everybody's enjoying it you can see senator irving's loving it 
And uh, it, he is. Of course he is. Why not? I'm enjoying it. Everybody else, why shouldn't they? And and uh, <laughs> and I, I presume even Nixon is enjoying it. I mean, he's getting sucked into watching these things. They deny. How could you not watch something when they're talking about you all day long? You know, you'd have to watch it. So uh, so all these things are, are part of uh, of a present day life, and uh, and uh, it's it's what makes it. Uh, you know, it's what makes it. Uh, I suppose you might say inexplicable. You know, everybody's trying to look for sense in life, which is kind of sad. I got a letter from a woman the other day. She says, Shepard, obviously, you're an atheist. She says, Shepard, you're, you're, you're going to go to hell, and then you're going to have a lot of time down there to, to think back of the terrible sins which you have perpetrated while on earth. Madam, I've been thinking about the terrible crimes that we've perpetrated for years. That's all I do. Well, you've noticed this, Steve. This is my whole... I'm basically a... A moralist, but like all good moralists, you see, you have to face the fact that the devil has some good lines too. Now, if you don't face that fact, you're not a moralist. You're simply a well, you're simply a bubblehead. You know, you're just walking around there, blowing blowing smoke out of your pipe there. You know, you're you're a bubble pipe there. You're not even blowing bubbles out of it. You're blowing smoke out of it. So uh, you got to face the fact. Like, like the other day, I just read this piece out of Miami Shores where this lady went down to the car wash. And, uh, you know, they have these car washes. You've been through a car wash recently, you know? Well, uh, you know, they've got these car washes all over down there. And she goes to the car wash, and uh, she gives them three bucks. And, and uh, the guy says, where's your car? She says, me. And uh, she walks into the car wash and, you know, strips right down to the, you know, right down to the feathers and uh, walks through all that stuff with her squirt and all the water and the, deter the detergent and all the suds. And, of course, the people were cheering, naturally, you know? And uh, at that point, the guy didn't know what to do. Whether to st if he stopped the machine, of course, all the, all the suds would wash away, and then she would be guilty of a true, uh, well, case of indecent exposure. So he just kept the machine going, and the suds piled higher and higher, and the cars were backed up for four blocks around. The horn started to blow. At that point, the word got out. Uh, word gets out pretty fast in a town like Miami Shores. And within five minutes, 4,000 people were all around the car wash cheering. And uh, she finished, all right. And, uh, you know, they, she asked uh, whether or not uh, she could have a wax job, too. And uh, so she paid her three bucks, put her stuff back on, and went down the street. Very clean. And uh, I, I kind of like this kind of thing. Like tonight. Uh, would you give me a little uh, mood music there, Larry? Before we give him mood music, just a minute there, Larry. Uh, Jerry's getting nervous in there. We have a few commercials to do here. Like, uh, for example, uh, nobody is more inexplicable than the than a Chinese waiter. I I, uh, I think there's a school over in the Bronx where they train them. Uh, they, they uh, seriously, they uh, they all have a certain way about them. And if you want to see the truly inexplicable and inscrutable Chinese waiter at his best, I would suggest you try the House of Chan. Uh, down, <laughs> there goes Steve. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, the House of Chan. They have this great Chinese food. And uh, if you're going to have a, a meeting with one of your uh, colleagues... Uh, I suppose I should really say with one of your co-conspirators. Because, uh, you know, I, one thing I'm fascinated by by watching these Watergate trials and stuff, as I, as I remember even watching back in the days of the, of the uh, Joe McCarthy trials, is that people seem to have a fantastic series of meetings that they're always having. And uh, they go to luncheon together, and they make phone calls constantly. Have you noticed that, Larry? That's a... That's really something. So, uh, and, and you've got to remember that, that you may be questioned about your next luncheon. You may be sitting there before millions of people with a microphone in front of you explaining what actually was said on, on uh, you know, June 29th, 1973 at 2.17 p.m. 
And uh, and you want to have a decent restaurant. You can't say, well, we're sitting down at the chock full of nuts, me and my friend Aki, and he, I, he ordered a, a orange drink, you know, and I... No, no, no. I would suggest for your next tryst, the House of Chan. It's very elegant, discreet, and uh, they've got all these plastic flowers all over, and if you want to have the next booth bugged, I'm sure they can fix it up. And it's not only that, magnificent Chinese food. It'll show that you're a man of taste when you tell them that you were having the sweet and sour soup, as you were told about the chicanery that the company was about to indulge in, and uh, you barely could finish the soup due to the fact that you were so shocked that they would bring this up. And naturally, you objected. However, due to the fact that you were a loyal employee, you had to, uh, you know, you, you can figure out your own testimony. I'm not going to prompt you there. You can ad-lib a little bit. I imagine the, that, that a lot of guys that are going to be called in future on this, uh, on this uh, Watergate thing are already rehearsing. You know, they're getting different hairdos, you know, how they, the best camera angle. And uh, there, there must be a school in Washington these days, you know. It says, don't go unprepared. Be a dynamic uh, interrogative witness. Don't look like a schlump. Techniques of all successful past uh, television uh, uh, committee stars are available to you now. Hey, what's the matter? You've, don't, don't worry, there's nothing in there. Uh, salute to Lawrence Welk's birthday party music is not on my agenda, I'm sorry. And, and everywhere you look now, it's, it's popping out. Did you read about the, all the DJs across the country getting all these broads and all these bennies and stuff to play the records? <laughs> oh, man, it's getting exciting. And now, oh, yeah, while we're uh, on the subject, I have to remind you once again, the House of Chan is at 52nd Street and 7th Avenue. Great Chinese restaurant, seven days a week, and they're open till midnight, and they have a bar. And let's see, what else do we have here? Uh, that up to These are both House of Chan. All right. Uh, would you hit the button in there, sir? Please. That's the money one. The one Yes, it's the green one there with the dollar sign on it. Thank you. Very good. Heavenly coffee. I'm supposed to sing with this. It's part of my contract. Chocolonuts is such heavenly coffee. Better coffee millionaires money can't buy. Why is chocolate nuts known as the heavenly coffee? Because it's made from a blend of the most flavorful coffees that money can buy. And now, chocolate nuts has a decaffeinated coffee, 98% caffeine free, which is made from the same blend of the world's finest coffee beans. Please try it and enjoy heavenly flavor in decaffeinated coffee, 98% caffeine free. Your grocer has it, so ask for chock full of nuts, 98% caffeine-free coffee, and have heavenly dreams, no matter how late you drink it. All together now, sing it out. Chock full of nuts is such heavenly coffee. You have another one in there for me. Oh, okay. Heavenly coffee. Heavenly coffee. <laughs> Oh, listen, New York is, is great at this time of the year. I'll tell you, it's fantastic. Uh, yeah, you, you really do. I, I love New York in the summertime. And uh, I, I can't imagine a more... Uh, well, well, New York, like like tonight, I'm, I'm walking along. It's dark. And I'm walking on 6th Avenue. And I see a guy laying in the doorway there, see. And uh, he's apparently carrying on some kind of a long, involved monologue with himself. And he's lost a shoe. And he's also lost his shirt somewhere along the line. 
and uh, he's sitting in the doorway there, seeing. <laughs> and here come these people down the street. You know, the guys got the, uh, the guys got the summer formal coat on, and the chicks are with the corsages. Obviously, out of town people who are enjoying the excitement of New York, and they're walking along Sixth Avenue, and they come alongside this guy who's in the doorway there, see. And he says, "Hey, you guys, hey, who won the election?" It's kind of warm, the cockles of the, of the soul. Or isn't it the soul that has cockles, or is it the, isn't it something that has cockles? Cockles, cockles. Isn't that something with the Mary, Mary? No, 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 no. I, I get involved there. That's uh, that's mythology. No, that's a, uh, uh, yeah, that's one of those. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. It's one of those nursery rhymes. Uh, let's see. The little Jack Warner sat in the corner, eating his curds and whey. Yes, that's the one. I don't want to bore you with that. You all know it. Little Jack, you remember that thing, don't you? Sure. They, you know, these things, I don't know why why people think they're so good. You know, I, I re- remember a lot of these things. The one about the fox jumping up eating the grapes. You remember that one? That's silly. You know, I never saw a fox that ate grapes. And uh, you remember that one? Yeah, well, and then there was the one about the grasshopper. You remember that one? Don't you call a grasshopper the winter around? You messed around all summertime? played and sang and did all that bad stuff. And the ant worked all summer. And you know what happened? Of course, it snowed. And that ant, you know, was down there snug in his little cozy ant nest, eating the acorns or whatever it is that ants eat in the wintertime. And along comes this crummy old poor sad grasshopper, and the snow is up to his ears, and he's struggling along. Don't you remember that? And he hollered out to the ant, Save me, save me, the snow is up to my thing here. And I'm about to die. And with that, what do you think that ant did? No humanity at all. He says, forget it. During the summertime when I told you to stop singing and dancing and collect uh, a little acorn here and there, what did you do? You were out at the beach, down at Jones Beach, yelling and hollering and pinching girls. Now you're paying for it. Ha ha. And at that, he closed the door. And the moral of this is, don't be a grasshopper. My God, no. That's the moral. I saw. I read that as a kid. I mean, I remember that more, that thing about... Of course, today, the grasshopper, uh, if that were a contemporary fable, the grasshopper would, you know, as soon as the first snow fell, he'd whip out his credit card. He'd be on the first uh, northeast flight for Miami, you know. He'd be laying on a beach down there, do his singing and yelling down there. I, that's the truth. Ants never get ahead. But uh, this, uh, you know, this is a, not part of our general scheme of things. Because I really do like New York in the summertime. But the idea of a drunk laying in the doorway with his shoe off. I mean, he looked like a totally decadent bum, like uh, it had been over for him, you know, like a hundred years ago. Hollering out at this group of people, how did the election go? That, to me, there's this grain of hope there. Do you agree with that, Jack? Do you agree? Grain of hope. I don't know what the hell the hope is for, but there's a grain of hope about something, the fact that a drunk wants to know what the election did. (laughs) Uh, You know, he uh, he looked kind of satisfied when they told him his result. And uh, I don't know why he was satisfied, but uh, this is all part of New York. And it was a big sign back of him. You'll see it. There's something old-fashioned about gimbals. They still got a sign that says, New York is a summer festival. And you could read it over this guy's shoulder, this bummeroni who was laying there with his shoe off. And so I thought, uh, give me a little of the background music there, Jack. I thought to myself, you know how... Yeah, easy, man, easy. That's a little high. Just to say, it's subtle, that's subtle there, subtle there. Subtle there, that's it. 
I think you've been working with Barry Goldwater or Barry Faba, whatever his name is down the hall there, too long. Nothing subtle. He just hits him right in the mouth there with a little cornmeal mush. Here, to bring it to there. Oh, yeah. I just, you know, just New York, man, the summertime. Yeah. <laughs> That's real nice, see. Well, I'm, 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 I, I get in a cab the other night, see. I mean, it's New York, man. It's New York. I get in a cab, see. It's hotter than hell. And I'm sweating, see. It was about 2 o'clock in the morning, and I hailed this cab. And there's this cat sitting up there in the front there, you know. And he's he's got this big, fat redneck, you know. We're driving along. And the first thing he says to me, he says, Where do you want to go, buddy? And I said, You take me down to... You can let me off at Sheridan Square. So all right, I'll, I'll, go, I'll cut right over to 7th Avenue and go straight down. How about it, buddy? I said, okay. 7th Avenue, straight down. Hey, buddy, you don't mind if I don't put the flag down, huh? It's 2 o'clock in the morning. I don't put the flag down after 2 o'clock. I start putting it down again around 7 o'clock in the morning. You don't mind if I put, uh, you know, a little bit there, you know? Uh, we're not hurting nobody. It's me and you, right? You don't mind if I don't put the flag down. I says, no, you don't put the flag down, buddy. It's okay with me. I mean, if you think you can get by with it, sorry to me, man. Just don't expect me to pay no more than I ordinarily pay on this trip, right? Oh, I ain't gonna take it. What do you mean? I just don't want to put the flag down, okay, buddy? Here we go, down 7th Avenue. Well, we proceeded about another maybe two or three blocks in the steam, you know, the heat. Oh, it's New York, and he's got the radio going. You can hear them horns blowing, you know. And all of a sudden, he turns to me and says, Hey, buddy, what do you think of that Watergate thing, huh? I say, you know, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah, I've been watching it now and then. I mean, I, what a bunch of crooks. I mean, these guys are nothing but crooks, boy. Everywhere you look, there's nothing but crooks. <laughs> what a bunch of bums. Oh, boy, a crooked bunch in Washington, I'll tell you. I watched that guy. You see that guy, uh, what's his name, uh, Bean or whatever, the guy with the glasses? What a crook. Oh, that Nixon, what a crook. Well, here we are, buddy. Sheridan Square. Uh, by the way, thanks for not, uh, you know, talking about putting the flag down. I never put the flag down after uh, 2 o'clock in the morning, buddy. I'll see ya. Play it cool. Keep your knees loose, buddy. So long, Deb. Down the street he went. And then, then, just about an hour later, see, I'm walking down the street, you know, in New York, you can hear all these voices at night, see. And there's a big argument going on in this brownstone that's drifting out over 8th Street. And it's on the second floor. That's all right. Just leave it go, man. And and I hear this guy yelling. And he says, Now, look, I'm tired of your talk. I don't want to hear any more about it. I said, shut up. And turn down a damn record player. Just leave it going to the next cut, Jack. Just the next cut, that's all. And so he's talking along there, see. And the next thing he hollers, I thought, what a great line. He said, I had enough of you, baby. I'll tell you what you can do. As far as I'm concerned, you can go back to your damn husband. I know why he kicked you out now. He was good enough off you going home to your husband. And then there was a big crash. And I thought to myself, you know, that's New York, you know. On the one hand, you can go back to your husband. And there was a crowd outside on the street, see. You know, there's always a crowd walking around. That's why I dig the village, you know. There's always a crowd walking around, you know, just walking around. It's a human cake and yeast down there, you know, and I'm part of it. 
And this crowd is walking around down there. And when I hear this guy holler at this chick, You can go back to your husband! There was a great cheer. <laughs> Everybody cheered out on the street. At which point the guy comes to the window, you know, and he sees a typical, you know, New York type. He's got his shirt off, you know, the can of Ryan Gold in his hand. And he looks like, he says, what are you guys cheering about? With that, somebody hollers, well, you told her to go back to her old man. You're a smart guy. You want me to come down there and put your teeth right down in your throat? And so I drifted on down the street. I figured, you know, New York is still here, man. I mean, they can do what they want, but New York is going to go on. And it's my town, Dad, you know? <laughs> yeah. Hey, you don't mind if I don't put the flag down, huh? No, buddy, I mind if you don't put the flag down. I mean, you know. Uh, well, I always like to say, you know, I can tell an out-of-towner. You ain't no out-of-towner, you know? All them out-of-towners come out of... You know, from out-of-town, they don't know what nothing about this town, you know? All them out-of-towners... Yeah, well, you know... I mean, you know... It must be tough being an out-of-towner. It ain't easy. Yeah, you know, sometimes I feel sorry for them out-of-towners. As a matter of fact, you know, to the average New Yorker, there's a separate uh, nationality called the out-of-towner. You know, like Greeks, Italians, and, uh, you know, Belgians, is the out-of-towner. Yeah, you know, I feel sorry for them out-of-towners sometimes. You know, they've got nothing out there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, this is W.O.R. You stay tuned for John Wingate.